Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some western whitetail hunting. Um, we've kind of alluded to this in the past. Um, my brother and uh, his buddy Greg and, and Greg's family have been going out there for a few years, uh, a couple different states out west, with some pretty good success. But they're going to states where you wouldn't think of whitetails so much i mean when i when we were talking about going out west and western hunting and you know we just finished up with the you know the deer hunter um forest movie uh yesterday we went and and saw that and kevin and jordan did an amazing job um it's a great um event but we were talking to everybody that we talked to throughout the year who were going out west and everybody is going back out west after elk and so it's not a you know, if you're going to take the time and you're going to go and commit that kind of thing, I think you think about about elk, right, elk. or mule deer, or, or something like that. Not necessarily or antelope. Um, yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna do some antelope hunting, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to get them on here to talk about, you know, the the do it yourself, go out west, you know, chasing whitetails, kind of getting out of that Michigan mentality, but. Before we get into that, I was telling somebody earlier this week about my brother and like the kind of like, I say that he's got a charmed life and all of these things. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, the kid goes to Africa on a mission trip and he's shooting wildebeest with a, with a slingshot off the back of a, a dirt bike. And I'm like, what? And John's like, what? What are you talking about? So I was like, oh, that'd be interesting since I've got him in here. So let's talk about eating some African roadkill and, yeah. uh, and uh, shoot well, first, wildebeest. First, better introduce these guys. So. Uh, yeah, Greg and Greg and Dustin are here. Greg, how are you tonight? Good. Greg's a lot like John in the fact that he's kind of the strong, silent type. So we're gonna we're gonna try and pull some words out of him today. And Dustin's a lot like me. So yep. we'll, we'll try and get him to shut up here. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of that Africa trip, that was a uh, was a pretty wild experience. I went out there for a. Uh, for a mission trip with the church back in 2009. We were, I don't know, three, four days in, heading back down this long. We had about four mile, basically a two track in a van packed full of 15 guys. And actually the missionary guy we were out there with, he was planted in Africa, had been there a couple of years. He's 
spotted the zebra laying down at the base of this tree, but it looked, he said, that looks sick. It was about three quarters of a mile out there in the, the, where we were was kind of the, where the plains met the bush. That was kind of a, kind of this little transition area and, <clears throat> and he didn't say much about it and uh, he alluded to the, to that. Uh, to the reason behind that later on when I found out what kind of trouble we could have gotten into. But, <laughs> but uh, we quietly made our, you know, another 45-minute trek down the two-track in the van. We unloaded, and he pulls me aside. He says, here, he tossed me a backpack. He said, hand me two fillet knives. So throw these in the backpack, handful of uh, plastic grocery bags, and a wrist rocket slingshot, and a handful of little steel pellets. It says, Hop on the back of the dirt bike. Oh, we'll talk in a minute. <laughs> so we hop on the back of this dirt bike and go flying out there. And he pulls over. He says, "That zebra. It's gonna be. It should be just about dead by now. I think it's dying of bloat. But we gotta get out there. It's you know, it's 92 degrees out there that day. So we just go ripping out there. And he beelines it straight to this tree. It was about I don't know, 10 minute ride on the dirt bike. We get out there and the zebra's laying there dead. So we hop off the bike, run up to it, rip the back straps out of it, <laughs> throw it in the grocery bags, put it in the back backpack. I posed for one picture, <laughs> and then uh, we hit the road. But on the way back, I had the slingshot on with a handful of those BBs, and we were chasing. I shot at a wildebeest a couple times. I nearly picked off a few of these little, I don't know, two-pound birds called guinea fowl. They run about 25, 30 miles an hour. Shot at some little mini hybrid rabbit deer-looking thing called a <laughs> blue diker, which, you know, if you get a headshot, you can actually kill them. And I guess they're pretty pretty good eating, but no luck there. But, yeah, it was quite an experience. We got back. The grill was actually already fired up. We butterflied out the back straps and grilled them up and ate them right there. <laughs> And you were just shooting at the wildebeest to say that you did it. Not, oh, yeah. Not yeah there, was, <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was no chance. Just piss them off more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I just thought that was kind of, it's kind of a funny story. Yeah. You know, with it's, it's, I, I do have, you know, kind of a, a weird, or a repertoire of weird stories like that <laughs> that I just happen upon. Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah. it good? That's the question. Is it good? What's that? Oh, How's the meat? It's fantastic. You got to have some more? Oh, man. I, I think... So we had we had the grill already fired up because we were eating steaks. It was like our... Uh, it was a big feast night that night. And they were treating us to steaks. And um, steaks had been marinating overnight. And the zebra was better. Yeah, so... Um, like I say, that, that was just kind of kind of interesting, I thought, since I had him here. I'd, I'd talk about it. It's kind of, kind of interesting. But, you know, obviously Dustin has the same hunting background as I do. Greg grew up, you know, just around the corner from us. Um, so I would imagine his hunting style was, was similar. So tell us a little bit about your hunting style, like growing up, Greg, in, in Michigan. Public land, private land, what was the... Just hunting on uh, close to town a lot of times. Five-acre lots and stuff. Um hunting over bait piles mostly, <clears throat> tree stands, and nothing too crazy. Uh, so did you grow up archery? Both. Both? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, anything. 
So you yep. guys kind of started out just mainly gun hunting, or did you? Well, well your yeah, dad. Yeah, so my dad wasn't the biggest archer. He did have, you know, he, he had one of the first compounds right. that ever lived, and he bow hunted, but just, I think it was, he bow hunted the same style of hunting that he always had gun hunted, which is, you know, sit on a stump, throw out some carrots, do, you know, right. and, and so limited opportunities. I mean, I remember, you know, two or three times, you know, back in the day that he had brought home a deer with a bow um well in fact i mean he would he would uh bow hunt the same stands areas that he would gun hunt because his brother barry saw a buck there in 1976 you know like <laughs> right that's well that's the spot you that's go spot. and it's the same you know so a lot of it was they were too far away or you right. know because you could shoot them with a gun Yep. But so, I guess from your your family perspective, I know the history of it, but I think your your uncle Ken was probably the most rabid bow hunter. At least mm-hmm. uh, in in my growing up, he was one of the people that I always saw as like, man, he really enjoys. It. Is is that how you guys kind of ended up going out west, or how, how did you make that transition to from little tiny plots? Was it that you just weren't seeing the deer? that you wanted to hear and you ventured out? Uh, yeah. Well, we started going out west with Uncle Ken, uh, out prairie dog shooting, and started seeing some of the deer out there that were look, look good. We'd do a little shining uh, at night uh, in the summer out there and in some pheasant food plots, and there'd be big bucks all over the place. And the guy that we were out there prairie dog shooting just kind of talked to us in. It took a couple of years, and we went out there on our first bow hunt. And so, so when when you're going out west, are you doing private land, public land? How does it how does it work? I mean, you know, so John and I have been out there, and our goal is to go um, and and kill, you know, speed goats out there, spot and stock. But there's just so much public land out there. I mean, we have a lot of public land in Michigan, but it's not it's, it's not like out west. Mm-hmm. We um, the first couple times we went out, we were on private land. And uh, we just did some cheap bow hunts with the guy. He kind of just paid for lodging. And uh, it was around in September on the opener. And uh, you're pretty much just sitting over water holes. And uh, if it rains, it's pretty much your shot for the four days you're out there or whatever. So uh, he kind of talked us into coming back out and doing some spawn stock after during the rut so he said you guys like you guys like to bow hunt out here you really need to come do this and uh he's kind of he it kind of he, he's not allowed to guide on it's not on state land so um and it's it's against the law for him to guide on the state land out there so he kind of uh shot himself in the foot for business but he didn't care he <laughs> said you gotta you gotta try this so yeah that's how we got started and uh we the first year we went out there uh I've been out there six times. First year, we, we gave ourselves three days. We thought we were going to go have fun in three days, and it's just not enough time. But it was crazy. The deer population was really high in that area at that time, and uh, it was prime rut, and they were just running through the through the rolling hills and stuff and seeing just so many deer that year. We always said we'd seen more in three days than we would see in a lifetime just hunting around home. And so – I guess kind of talk a little bit more about the the style of hunting, right? So when you went out there the first time, and it was on private land, it was like kind of like a guided thing, like you come, mm-hmm. you come and hunt this water hole. Yeah. Um, 
And so how did that, I guess, compare to Michigan hunting? I mean, were you, did you guys have to do any training? Were you shooting different ranges? How, how going out there the first time, what was your expectations? And then what ended up being reality type thing? First time he said, you know, be able to shoot 40 yards or whatever, and you're, you're pretty good. So it's, it's a lot like Michigan. Um, s- sitting over water holes or in a little break in the cornfield or something like that. And and it's like you're really hunting for the last hour before dark, you know. That's about the only time you're going to get these deer on their feet. And you just don't see the big deer like you do in the rut out there. So, Well, the reason that I asked that is, you know, we just came yesterday we did – uh, a couple podcasts at the Hunt and Time Expo. Well, if you've been to the Hunt and Time Expo here, and and I'd imagine like a lot of the expos are like this, I haven't been to too many, but it's there's outfitters everywhere, and so Frank's been down to Illinois where the outfitter or this guide or whoever he tells you one thing, and it may or may not be true, and you're paying all this money, and you're going out there, um, you know we are kind of like more lean towards the do it yourself like go out there and and kind of figure it out so for going out there and and going to you know from what you had seen in the fields when you were shining and talking to this guy you felt like did, did you feel like you got what you paid for i guess in that on that private land like experience no i would say no I mean, and, and he kind of knew that it's just tough you know if it rains, the the water holes are not nearly as good, and you're so if you hit it good, you know it, I think it's just really weather related. But yeah, when you go on a hunt too, is your expectation if you're paying money like that, your expectations I think just takes the fun out of it a little bit for a young guy anyway that doesn't have a lot of money to spend on <laughs> on hunting. So and yeah, so going out by ourselves is a much much more fun. You cannot shoot and you just have a blast. And so what's the difference between that? other than deer activity, right? What's the difference between the that the style of hunting that, you know, he told you 40 yards and and whatever to to kind of what what you have to do being out there doing the rut spot and stock and then what preparation goes into it or would you recommend for people going out there? And and Dustin, you can probably talk to this too because this was your first year second uh, year, second year going out there but it seemed like you did more training this year than you did last and that might have best just been like the experience saying like well i got my ass kicked last year so i need to, <laughs> I need to step it up yeah just shoot a lot <clears throat> shoot at long ranges and uh you know we we always we practice out to 80 90 yards not that we'll always take a shot that far but it makes some closer ones feel a lot closer and then uh being quick being yeah. able to get a shot off in three seconds or something. Yeah, you and you and Paul did that training. I I didn't hear about that till we got out there, but <laughs> um, that's kind of a cool concept. You, tell them tell them kind of what you were doing with that, because that that was interesting to me. And if you have three seconds to shoot at a deer, you're probably you shouldn't probably take the shot. But if you can do that, um, it just really I think that's kind of a good test for um, just if it's automatic for you or not, you know. So what were you guys doing? We were just, we'd have a guy count, and you, from the time you draw to the time you shoot, you got three seconds to let it rip. And uh, I don't know, it just helps. It helps you get under pressure too, you know, a little bit of buck fever training maybe. <laughs> one, of, one of the things I did this year, which was a, based off a huge 
costly mistake the year before was practice from shooting from different positions. So I never at least intuitively thought that shooting from one knee would change anything inside 40 yards, you know. And, you know, maybe we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Big upset that happened uh, my first time out there. But I took a shot from one knee that I thought was – I didn't think I could miss. You know, it was it was written. <laughs> and I screwed it up. So this year, yeah, I shot different ranges. I shot different positions. Um, I didn't do any of the timing stuff, which I think would be pretty interesting. Um, the other aspect, just based on the terrain, that I think every year I go out there, I'll say I wish I trained harder, but it's just the conditioning, you know, cardio. Like if I could get into a little bit better shape, you know, that's what I would recommend to somebody is if, if you're going to go out and, you know, do some of these western hills, foothills, or if it's in the mountains of Colorado or whatever, I mean, you can't be in too good a shape. There's, it's just not possible. Right. That's like, well, Adam and I, we trained for Idaho, I mean, with our packs, hitting the dunes, you know, 40 pounds. Well, I had 40. Adam was doing it with 60, which I'm like, are you sure you want to do 60? But he did it. I'm not doing the 60. <laughs> I mowed my lawn and walked around the lake at six, with 60 in my pack. But And so, yeah, to, to that, like, so you're going out there from from that transition – the first time what was your thought process in 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 going out there the the first time you went out there for the rut hunt because basically the way that dustin explained it to me is this the guy that goes and helps you out and i think you know probably to that point to have somebody out there that can point you in the right direction and it sounds like the best way to meet them is at a bar or something like that because that's what happened with us in ohio and um that sort of thing but, you know, the guy just basically drops you off and says, go chase them critters, boys. Basically, that's it. Yeah, basically, that's it. You know, we were 25 years old, and uh, he didn't care. He was just <laughs> – that's pretty much all he did. He showed us the properties on the map. We didn't have any GPSs at that time or nothing, but uh, the boundaries are marked good. So he, uh, you got to get into the property to know where to go and to see the features of it. You know, you'll see – you won't even see the hills from the road most of the time. And then you get in there and it looks totally different. And you just got to go start walking 10 miles a day or something and you'll see deer. What's the terrain like? Uh, every property is about 200 feet of elevation change. So, I mean, it, it's kind of like sand dunes, I guess, here. But, you know, nice and hard. It's not as hard as walking on sand dunes. But um, it's up and down plenty. Is it like rocky, dry? Clay, Some of clay, it, yeah. clay and rocky, yeah. Yep. It's all cow pasture, state land. Um, everything's grazed by cows and so the grass and sage. and Like any creek bottoms, river bottoms, or anything like there's that? There's a few, few ditches and not many trees, almost no trees. So in a situation like that, I mean, I guess from from that standpoint, back in the day when you didn't know the properties and you were just – yeah, the guy showed you a map and said, "Well, the, you'll if you see the stakes, you're you, you've come to the end of the property, um, and that it's completely grazed and trampled by cows. What are you looking for for sign or terrain features that are holding these deer? Not only that, are you guys doing any like you know glassing, like getting up and, yeah. and glassing? That's, that's a big thing, right? 
especially when we first started and didn't know where we go were going we would um get out there in the dark before light you know and be on a big hill and, and with your binoculars yeah you got your binoculars to your eyes all day long out there and so basically just looking for deer movement and then trying yep. to bat them and then yeah set up a if the rut's going crazy, they sometimes they never bed, you know. They'll be running. You'll be sitting on a hill eating lunch, and they come running by. It's just <laughs> you, you got to get out there, and just the opportunities seem to find you, you know. But, well, I mean, you know, when it's just like anything else, it's like the harder that you work, the opportunities kind of yeah. show up. I mean, you know. And you learn day to day. I mean, you learn the first time I was out there, I was just I was lost when Greg Greg put us on a deer on a on a young muley that I ended up passing on. Um, we got out there and we spot from from a high hill. We got out there at dark. We just sat there, saw a few, put a little, tried to get in on this really nice white tail. He was gone by the time we got over there. Found a muley, went in on him, and what blew my mind was how to get from point a to point b 50 feet of elevation change changes the terrain changes your perspective that terrain completely we got downhill i thought we were going in one direction and greg said no we gotta go this way and having done it as much as he has done put us on the ditch that this guy was bedded in he we snuck into 15 yards on this guy we a little three by three and we let him go it was 45 minutes into my first hunt on an eight-day hunt so we let him go and i came home empty-handed but you know the next seven days was worth passing that so typically what are the tags like so when you buy a tag out there you know i know you guys hunt multiple states or whatever but yeah so like south dakota nebraska like what's the i guess it's the same guy the same you know, you you met a guy that has opportunities in in different states, right? So yeah. he just kind of pointed you and said, "Well, you didn't like that? Try over here, <laughs> try yeah. the state then." But can you kill? Is it like a multi-tag, like whitetail or mule? So correct? yeah, for for bow, it's any deer, and it's statewide. So that's South Dakota, and so it's nice. And what's the cost on that? Is is it a draw? Is too, it, no, it, well, they say there's a there's a draw, but you put your name in, and there's always leftover tags, so everybody gets a tag. Yeah, and so kind of like what we're talking about for right. for antelope. One yeah. tag then. One, one tag for yeah for mule deer or whitetail, either. Uh, but you can't buy another one, so you get one deer. Or? For oh. non-residents, it's so restricted that um, that's about the only tag we can buy anyway. Well, the, the caveat to that is I don't know if you get all their um, state of South Dakota wildlife emails or whatever. There's a lot of changes in the works right now to change the number of tags and to make it easier for at least for residents to get two tags, but there's, there are some stipulations on non-residents, but it's like Greg said, it's, it's damn near impossible. Yeah. You can't gun hunt out there as a non-resident either. So you got to go with your bow. That's, that's good for us. We're bow hunters. Yeah. It's the (laughs) bow hunter chronicles. Yeah. Greg. (laughs) Good deal. Thanks thanks for tuning in. Um, (laughs) So, um, you know, you're, you're talking about, um, not having a GPS before. So now, and I, it, one of the things that like just completely, and I, I, this year was my most successful season, you know, by far not seeing deer, but, but, you know, uh, killing, having opportunities and, 
And I think for me, a lot of that has been from Onyx, right? So now I feel like I have this thing like, you know, in my pocket every day where at any point, if I want to look at a, an area, I can look at it. But then not only that, I can mark a spot, you know, right here. And when we were in Idaho, all we had to do was walk there and I could leave breadcrumbs. So it said, this is where we walked. This is where we walked yesterday. This is where we walked before. Right. This is where we had an opportunity. Um, so from just seeing it on a map one time where the guy drops you off and says, figure it out to this last this past year how much have has the the scouting or the way that you're viewing the properties and all that what other tools are you using um, that's it uh, onyx is is what we do for sure everybody has to have has to have a phone with them with that on it um we went out there two years uh without it and we were staying to the big properties don't even try to go to the small stuff that's not marked well and things like that really helps you to not trespass and the landowners are watching you so you got to stay on and that that helps that you know right where you're at all the time so has it changed your success rate or oh i mean or opportunity rate i mean yeah yeah, i mean but i think that that having an opportunity is a success because you could be wandering around with your ass going like well were we over here where were we at where do we do now yeah for sure i mean it helps you find uh so like we found we found one spot that's between two really good ranches and um, got in there. It's only th- three hundred and some acres. It's small for out there, and it would be hard to find without it, you know. So. And so, along that same line, you know, you guys talked a little bit about um, binoculars and glassing. As far as equipment, what is your, you know, John? Will, chime in here but like what's your bow setups and how are you guys set up for that and then what other pieces of gear do you think are paramount for going out and doing a western style whitetail or or deer hunt mule deer hunt are you bringing the big wool socks or the the are you stalking in barefoot like that sort of thing so the last two years it's been really cold out there for early november um so we we froze but usually you try to dress light layer um and you usually are sweating and you're peeling things off by the time the sun comes up you know um, yeah, i haven't had that problem no you haven't been, out, been out there out for the nice it was yeah it was bitter bitter cold i mean yeah. we had a negative 16 wind chill one day i did a sat out all by myself in that creek bottom froze i mean and they're yeah. telling me stories about hunting in t-shirts <laughs> Cussing them up and down. But, so you guys like wear but, day packs and stuff. Yeah, and then... so you got day pack and um, layers, just lots of layers. Um, now, what uh, about like when you guys get a kill? Are you cut? Are you like quartering and carrying it out? Like, are you cutting it up to carry it out? Or you we guys have? But my experience, we haven't had to. Um, that that isolated spot that Greg was just talking about, that Onyx got us on. Um, been a couple deer killed off that property, and actually just leave it and go get a game cart. Okay. And then cart is a pretty nice way to get it out. Well, it's only 300 acres, so it's not, you know, I mean, we've got 240 acres in the UP. And well, well, that 300 acres is situated about a mile and a half through private land. you got to walk section lines to get back to it. So um, so how far were you from the truck then? Mile and a half? Mile and a half, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. That's so. a long drag. <laughs> yeah. You're either cutting it up or carting it out for yeah. that. So. But uh, in terms of binoculars... Because um, I know that binoculars is one of the things after your first year you were like, I didn't realize... Uh, I didn't realize what a economy line, what, what a detriment having an economy line set of binoculars would do. I mean, I had eye fatigue. I had headaches. I was not seeing deer clearly. It was miserable. Like some bear grills. Say, did you happen to have the bear grills model? <laughs> no, no. But I had a, a cheap combo set of binoculars and a rangefinder, and the rangefinder was fine. They, speaking of which, though, one of the things with rangefinders that's important is to have scanning mode. Mine didn't. Cause sometimes you know you got one guy usually, and we can talk about kind of the hunting technique too. But you go out. Usually we pair up, and so. However, it's decided who's going after this deer. One guy's usually behind him, giving him a range. Um, and the deer are moving, so you're calling out the range a little bit. Uh, scanning mode is helpful. but Another but I, thing is to uh, make sure and synchronize your your range finders. So like, yeah, like John and I knew ours were three yards off. Yeah. So, I, like, so he was ranging for me, and I knew that my range finder, what I was set at, our range finders were three yards off. Mm-hmm. So when he was saying, fifty-four yards, so I he, was shooting fifty-one. Okay. Yeah. And we we learned that you know that was one of the things that we worked on. Like we went up to Toll Archer Challenge last year in the summer. You know, just kind of we're rolling with our packs on like hunt situation and then ranging calling we'd each called off so we'd know you know so that way in that situation like what is it adam you know if i'm shooter and i can know i can adjust to it yeah because and and, you know ultimately you know we didn't get to that point but it would have been you know me ranging for john he'd be like what the fuck you know like (laughs) right you're three yards off and and as a as a midwestern hunter tree stand 20 yards or you know i mean the the total length of both the deer that i killed this year was like 21 yards like 7 and 14 so it's like it's not really an issue not an issue here but at 62 or 65 that's you know could could be significant unless you're shooting like 90 pounds like somebody here yeah so (laughs) so with what um what binoculars you said you were using like a subpar um set of binoculars and and what do you have now because i wouldn't i wouldn't say that they're you know they're not swarovskis right well, so uh, speaking of which <laughs> we did have a pair on the trip this year um <clears throat> but no i got the i think greg's got the same too right we got the vortex yep. diamondback 10 by 42s yeah which are perfect i would say for out there I mean, so you may have had Swarovski's. You also had P Diddy's van, so it wasn't <laughs> like you know. We had one uh, higher budget hunter with us, but the rest of us are just sl- slouches like everybody else. One of the things I did this year, though, too, which was mostly it, it was a Christmas gift that I had asked for, but it was based off a lot of what Stephen Rinella had said, and a lot of other guys talk about it too, but. Um, with the amount of glassing that we did the first year I was out there, particularly the first couple days, was I got a tripod for my binoculars. And and I did only use it probably 80%, 90% of the time I used it was in the first two days. I mean, granted, I shot my deer on the second day too, but um, 
but really he spent a lot of time glassing early uh, to kind of get an idea of you know, what pockets are holding deer, if they're holding any, if any of them are being held. But like I said, you hit it, Greg, Greg said you hit it in the rut and there's no telling. But I mean, we got up to that first hill the first morning and we glassed for an hour maybe before we ever even moved. So having a stable base, you know, it made all the difference in the world. Right. Eye fatigue, everything. Like everything. Saying, shoulders. Just, I mean, that's right. one of the other things, holding binoculars up that long. Start to get these knots in your shoulder. and right. By the end of the days, your eyebrows are hurting and yeah. everything. <laughs> so with what you were saying about layering and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so we did all of our own, you know, research, and I ended up with Badland stuff. He was using Under Armour stuff, but basically neither one of us when we went out west had a single thing that was cotton um so what is it as far as your your layering and and probably greg you can talk to the well, probably both of you because you froze the first year and you probably didn't have all the high-end gear that there you know what you think of as high-end gear but it ends up just being necessity like at, for a western hunter right so from your experiences from the 85 degrees to the negative 16 what have you what what gear have you settled on that you're running out there for for that layering system? So for bow hunting, you always want to keep it not bulky. And I'd rather be cold most of the time than be over over bulky. So we um, we I always have polypropylene base layers and then uh, just a good pair of pants that cuts the wind. And uh, same thing on the top, maybe... I, I like to have a sweatshirt, polypropylene uh, first, a sweatshirt, and then a vest, and maybe like a raincoat in my pack or something like that. Um, if you get really, that helps with you get some bad wind too. Yeah, that's pretty much what I had. Um, I ended up getting a thicker base layer this year, though. Um, another big, uh, big thing we took, Greg and I had a conversation about before we went out west were boots, because um, it's tough to find the balance between insulation and warmth but you're also hiking between 10 and 15 miles through some pretty gnarly terrain each day you know so um we settled on a lightweight pair medium insulation um and then you know a nice comfortable pair of insulated socks but um another thing we all talk about every you know we've talked about it these two years you guys talked about it before then too but is the outer layer the camo patterns and stuff which i don't know if there's a perfect one um i ended up going with the browning atex arid urban um pattern which uh seems to do a pretty good job i mean it's everything's real light um what did you use this year i had cryptic highlander pattern but everything out there seems to be too dark yep it's like khaki color. If you could just have khaki yeah. pants and a coat, you'd be all right, I think. But I'll, I'll tell you what. So I, I, I said I, I settled on Badlands. Not I went for utility and durability, and their camel pattern. I was like, this is kind of stupid. Like I, I did not. I wasn't sold on it. But I was like, they've been around for a long time. There's got to be something, something to it. And then when I put that stock on that deer, like John was videoing it, albeit a little bit shaky. Um, <laughs> that's why that's why nobody's seen it. Um, <laughs> but I just couldn't believe, like watching it back, like 
how well it blended in. And I, I would have thought that it would have been dog shit or like that it, you, cause it would have looked too light. Cause it's, it seems like there's so much white and just a little bit of black and well, green. Even like, you know, why, when you talk about that, even while I was filming, like I would look down at the, you know, the, the viewer and then I'd look, and then I'd look back and I'm like, Adam's not in there. <laughs> and I'd look back up and I'm like, no, he's right there. And I look back and then I'm like, Oh, there he is. He's there. Yeah. I, I mean, nice. it, you, I, it would just like, just blend in because it has like that light yeah and it's it, a weird breakup to it but it looks too light like, like you look at the pattern and it looks like almost white yeah. but it it was it was really something so i mean if you're if you're you know just looking at trying something like i wanted it because i knew that if i it, it was expensive so if i ripped it i would just send it in and get a different one like they have like the warranty is there so i got it for that reason because i was like well we're going to destroy some shit out there like yeah. so i <laughs> yeah. want to just make sure i mean john ripped yeah. his pants and yeah I, I you know i didn't realize he's like oh you got a hole i'm like it's hard on equipment for sure. yeah. how are these ones out there and i they, i don't i don't think you could be too light out there no i don't, I don't no. think you could i mean i some of that stuff we got when you look at it, it looks looks like faded old camo you know and it's you, you get a guy you're watching him put a stock on it and they're just it looks like a Dark, dark blob. Dark brown blob sneaking yeah. through some. Yeah. Everything blobs up at a distance. So, so when you talk about the um, gear and being hard on gear, um, what are you guys using for bow setups? And like you, you said, you're comfortable shooting out to eighty, ninety. Um, you know, I know when Dustin was getting his bow set up, the bow he got from John, he was. You know, he was very particular in what he went with for his site because you guys have said you'd had problems with sites out there and banging stuff around. And, you know, for someone who doesn't come from a, a spot and stock background or, you know, if you're going to go out there and you say, okay, so we're going to do this, um, you know, spot and stock antelope hunt, never done it before. I've not crawled through grass and done all that stuff. You know, we try to build the most bulletproof setup for us going out west but we also brought two bows just because we were like well you know we're spending all this time all this money everything like putting all our eggs in one basket we want to make sure that we don't have those issues yeah. you know what issues have you had and then what setups have you landed on we've been pretty good uh for breaking things really <laughs> it's hard on your strings uh you keep them waxed and stuff it seems to dry them out um just going through the grass and all that but I don't know. I, I like a site that's not sticking out too far off the end of your riser. So keep it in compact. Keep, and then a quiver that's real flat, um, low profile for if you're, I mean, you spend some time crawling Quick through release the grass. for sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, we haven't had too many problems. The, the dropaways have held up good. And I mean, we're throwing, I'm, we're crawling with our bows, and that's not easy to do through grass and sage and stuff. So Yeah, I know. Kenny did have a couple issues with his sights. Yeah, he's had a peep not straighten out for him, a couple yeah. things, yeah. Those sound like excuses. Yeah, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> so you're saying, when you get out there in that dry, you know, dry air, the air, and yeah. so you guys get out there and you're shooting, do you have to make any adjustments or, you know, like you're saying, if your peep's not in line and, you know, the, the humidity levels, the heat, that all plays, you know, can play a factor with your the tune of your bow yeah I, we haven't I, got that scientific with it I, but no i mean you, uh, 
I get, I don't know if it's hunter specific because yeah. I get out there the first time I fling a few arrows at 40 yards, 50 yards, and they're just like back home. But one of the guys we went with missed a giant whitetail at, I don't know, what was Brian shooting from? 25, 25 yards. 25 yards. And so he goes and starts, gets back. He's all pissed off and does a little target shooting. And he's off by 8, 10 inches. And I don't know if he just didn't practice or I, I don't well, know what the situation he, was there. but He didn't tune his broadheads. And they were playing it on them. They were just dropping. 25 yards, they were dropping eight inches. Well, I mean, so, not good. So, so we were out there, and I was six inches high, and John was six inches low, or, or vice versa. And that was after two days of right. just banging around out there. And our, yeah. everything was tight. Um, but, it was, I mean, we were both, you know, but right. we brought a block to shoot at. And mm-hmm. Actually, we used Dustin's block to shoot at, <laughs> yeah. uh, turns out. But... Uh, but so what are you shooting for a bow, Greg? I have an older, uh, like a 2008 model, G, uh, Elite. Um, we all shoot kind of higher poundages, and I don't know if it's necessary because things are getting faster and everything, but I I had 90-pound limbs on it um, just to keep my – just to shoot a heavy arrow that it seems like it helps with wind drift for sure. Um, so like a 460-grain arrow, I think, just a little over IBO. And then, um, it, but it just helps at longer. I see that my pin gaps really don't grow that much out to 70, 80 yards. I have a seven pin site and it just, it just seems to work really good. And so what are you using for quiver? You mentioned like a, you know, low profile site, low profile quiver, what quiver, what site, what, you know. I have a, um, just a true, true glow, cheap quiver, $25, four arrow don't you don't need six arrows out there or whatever uh, it's better to be light and low profile i think um and then for a site i have a uh it's a seven pin uh iq i actually what? don't shoot a peep you don't uh, i go with just the iq yeah so. with the retina lock yep okay seems to take a while to get dialed in but i really like it now so and you're shooting out to 90 yards with no peep like that's pretty crazy it's doable it really is doable with them things i mean if you it takes a year or something to get it dialed in it seems like but practice with it it tells you exactly where you're anchored but this is also the guy who shoots highest percentage when we're duck hunting or goose hunting and he picks off other unmentionable game with (laughs) (laughs) with other uh weapons but he does have a knack I'll, i'll say that but he's never shot a wildebeest with a slingshot. Never. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does. Uh, he does like to stretch it out though. Every once in a while, like I think what was it, three maybe four yards that you killed that white tail last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll get, into, pounds, yeah. So we'll get into that just just a second. <laughs> so Dustin, your setup. You're shooting John's old Boss XL. Yep. And um, got I, kind of the same setup as Greg. So I, I just I just mimicked my setup on what had been successful. What these guys had had success with out there. I was kind of starting from scratch. So similar quiver, same rest, same sight. Um, and, again, it just is about practicing, though. I mean, I threw all that on there, and I shot like shit for two months. I had John tune it for me and helped out a lot. But, really, it was just just me getting things dialed in. Uh, and right before we went out west last year, I was comfortable, really comfortable out to 70. 
Um, and this year I stretched it out to 80 with no intentions of shooting that far. But just like Greg said, I mean, if you're shooting comfortably out to 80, a 50-yard shot is a chip shot. Right. So, so yeah, I got, I got kind of the same setup. Um, it's hard to keep it light with a bow that big. <laughs> right. But, uh, but like I said, I modeled it after after what these guys had had success with. And, and you're just about as big as John. So yeah, as far as you, you need a big. Over 200 pounds. Yeah, so big draw length. Yeah, he's taller than me with longer. Is set for 32 inch draw so yep i think i'm at 31 and a half so and you had mentioned broadheads planning what's the rules for um broadheads out there you know obviously you know our listeners know when we went out to idaho it was fixed blade only um so what what's the rules as you get into those states and then you know what are you what have you guys had success with have you had broadheads fail um we um um we try we try to stay to expandable and they're legal there. Um there's a barbless law and I don't actually even know what barbed a barbed broadhead looks like, but ours are all legal, we know. Well there's there's like some sort of weird ass broadhead that has a GPS tracker thing in it. Yeah. Uh, that came out like, like I think it was last year at ATA or, or two years ago. Um and then there's the whole the old school, old school like game tracker fishing line broadhead thing. Yeah. So <laughs> But yeah, no, we, uh, expandables have been good for us. And uh, just, I don't know, I've had bad luck tuning arrows and in the past with fixed blades. I know people do good with it, but, um, and then out there in the wind, I mean, we'll, we'll be shooting in 20 mile an hour winds often, and it just seems like they fly, they fly good. And they do the job with higher poundage bulls. We don't have any problems with, with penetration or anything. So they've done well. Yeah, I think. Most of us are shooting the um, hundred grain Grim Reaper three yeah. blade, the Grim Reaper Pros. Um, I've hit four or five deer with them, got, gotten all of them. Yeah. Uh, really good penetration. Um, haven't had any issues so far. So let's get into the fun stuff then. Um, so Dustin told me before we talk about your last couple of years because you've had the last two years have been really good for the both of you um as far as getting opportunities um but dustin said you know you got to ask greg about memorable opportunities or or the things that up there and i think he had one one in mind that uh well well mind you real quick uh, despite some of these stories that were great opportunities that may have not have ended as well as he would have liked. He's still four for six. So he gets it done. But but there's been stories that I hear every year. I've been hearing since they happen. You know? um, we talk about them again when we go out there. But yeah, that's uh, pretty pretty cool opportunities. So it seems like if you work hard out there for five days of hunting or something, um, you, got, you usually can get a shot or two with your bow. And... Uh, you just got to be ready to make a good shot when you when it does happen. Oh man, we've had some we've hit some some big deer. Um, and I think my, I blame it on being a trigger puncher. And I'm working through that. I think I'm I think I'm okay now, but just just trying to get the shot off too a little too fast, you know, and uh, being near the shoulder or and you think you're good and you hit the trigger and you're. And you think you're making a good shot, but you got to pick a spot. And, man, I learned a lesson. Uh, on. T- I didn't even look at the rack. It was 
we were just walking along after we, uh, my cousin I was hunting with, had ju- we just had a buck come running right past us and didn't get a shot off uh, in time. Um, and we kept walking up a little bit more, and the same group of deer that it came out of, there was the the big one was bedded down with a doe, and he jumped. We're, he didn't really know what we were. We didn't know he was there, and um, he jumps up, runs uh, 10 yards, and uh, my buddy's there with the rangefinder, and uh, told me 53 yards, and it's he stopped and looked back at us at 53 yards, and uh, you know that's really just that's an easy shot, honestly, and on about a 250 pound deer, and uh, just looked like a moose, you know, just huge deer, and thought I made a good shot and did not find that one. Um, got a couple more misses like that. That just heartbreakers. Seems like all the big ones. I think buck fever just gets us out there. Dustin's got a really bad story too. Horrible. Yeah. So I want to. So Dustin's story. We've t- we've said that on when we get you on the podcast to talk about it, it's going to be John's fault because it's John's bow. And he sold that bow for a reason. John's here to dispute that. But the story that goes along with it, I want you to tell the whole thing. Because you. one of the things I, I think about, I guess, and you guys obviously thought about it too, is when you get out to these big buck states and these big um, areas where you can see, you know, and I, I guess you think maybe – Illinois, Iowa, wherever, um, farmland, that a, that a decoy is going to work. So <laughs> how do decoys work, Dustin? <clears throat> Just like they're supposed to. <laughs> so, so we had been, I don't know, I think we, I think it was an eight-day trip with, you know, six, six and a half days of hunting. And we... Had put a lot of miles on, had a lot of opportunities, but nothing compared to this last day. So I think the we were out there last day, last morning, supposed to, you know, square up at the lodge. Now, I, just one thing to, to, I don't know if we were very um, explicit about this, but these are self-guided public land. We pay for lodging. That's it. So the lodge, the guy, he runs, you know, some pheasant guided pheasant hunts. But, but anyway, we had to get back to this lodge at noon to square up. So one of the guys out there with us, he and I went back to this kind of this hot spot, this little creek bottom. That's actually the one we were talking about. It's mile and a half trek through these section lines. But to hunt, I mean, the huntable land is three acres i mean that creek bottom. oh yeah we stay we stay out about three acres three acres um and we'd seen a lot of deer down there a couple had been killed that trip already but this the deer were the deer were there and the rut really seemed the, the big deer seemed to start rotting in the last 48 hours of the trip so we decided to make the haul out there that morning and so you know we brought a decoy let's give it a shot some big bucks moving. Um, we took the tarsal gland off of one of the bucks that was already shot, brought it out there, 
douse this decoy in it. Set the decoy up <clears throat> 35, 40 yards from a nice little spot. We were hunkered down kind of on the back side of this creek bottom. And uh, <laughs> we set this decoy up and uh, kind of behind us, 180 degrees from the decoy, we see some shooter bucks, a couple of them. And we see one in particular that was over on some private land, three quarters of a mile away, skylining himself, overlooking these five does, running off these satellite bucks. We watch him for half hour. We got other bucks running, shooter bucks. I mean, shooter for us, I mean, 140s, easy. And it's shooter out there because around here... I mean, the, yeah, oh. you know, you'd shoot a 140, but oh. <laughs> if you'd, you'd shoot something a bit smaller. Right. So shooters out there, I mean, we're covered in 140, 150-inch bucks this morning. I mean, and we don't know which way to turn. I mean, 360 degrees around, except for at the decoy, there's bucks. So we reposition ourselves. We're like, okay, let's slide over here. Now, we can't shoot to the decoy at this point, but... If the deer approach the decoy the way we think they would, you know, with the wind and everything coming in downwind from the decoy, we're, we're going to get a clear shot. That, that's not exactly how it works. So, so we know we no sooner scooch twenty yards away, we look up and this doe had us pinned, and right behind her is one hundred and fifty inch ten point. And he could care less about what the doe was doing at this point because he caught a glimpse of the decoy. You think he circled in downwind? <laughs> no. He went nose to nose with the son of a bitch. Just posturing up. Oh, man. He, he got five yards from this guy and turned sideways, just turning his head back and forth. And we had no shot. Because now, now we're tucked behind these <laughs> this little patch of woods thinking that we, you know, we made the right move. Well... We, we shot ourselves in the foot. So the doe ends up busting. The buck follows her. We screw that opportunity. Ten minutes later, another ten point comes in. <laughs> does the same exact thing. And we're like, okay, we got to do something. Well, this buck takes off to the west. We wait for 15, 20 minutes. There's no deer. So we decide we're going to chase that one. Okay, let's go after him. He's up over the hill. We follow this fence line up. Get up over the hill. He's over all the way to the next cut now on private land. We turn around. Probably 160-inch 12-point nose-to-nose with our decoy. (laughs) Oh, man. And uh, now this is on the tail end of the, you know, single-digit weather we had had for three, four days. So I circle back around. I, I go, I don't know, half a mile out of the way get into the creek because the creek had frozen over and I ice skate my way all the way up winding to try to come up and I was going to pop up at the decoy and as I'm working around I can still see this guy now he's he's 30 yards from the decoy now but he's raking his antlers on this little tree branch 20 yards from where I was going to pop up just making all making a huge scene I get 10 yards from where I'm going to climb this creek bank and i Bust a little five point. We scared the shit out of each other. <laughs> so the 12 point takes off. God, son of a bitch. So that was, that was how our morning went. So 
And you'd already messed up on a pretty nice buck out of a tree stand, right? Yeah. So, so that was the one spot in all this property where, you know, these tens of thousands of acres that you really could put a tree stand. And so we had a tree stand and I was up in there the day before. That was the day I sat all day long in the negative wind chill. Ten point comes in. I grunted him in and he was on the line and he was going to step out. I draw back and bottom of this giant bow that John sells me. (laughs) (laughs) Tings the rail on the tree stand, stops the steer dead in his tracks right behind this tree. He needed three more steps and he was 30, 35 yards dead. And that was that's the hunting that I was most comfortable with, actually, <laughs> shooting a deer at 35 yards from a tree stand. And uh, so, yeah, I, I screwed that opportunity. But so that morning was a mess, you know, and we were, I mean, it was, I, I'd like to think, you know, if it was two days sooner, maybe I would have acted a little differently. You know, we were frantic. It was the final hours. And I don't know that that's true, though, because I've never, I saw more bucks in the 140 plus class than I've seen in my entire life hunting or otherwise you know and uh, so we're packing up we go we're like okay we gotta gotta get back it's actually already noon we're supposed to check out we got a mile and a half hike back to the truck gotta take down that tree stand that we left we gotta bag up the decoy it's 12.15 12.30 and we're walking back and that's when the fun began we uh making all kinds of noise crack open some mountain dews we're decided to walk back rather than on the section line we're still in the the walk-in area the public land but we walked the creek bottom the rest of the way that we could and we bumped these two does push them out into this field and the wind's blowing up off that field into this into this little cut where this this hill comes up and uh out steps that giant that was that we watched right at daybreak. He had worked his way all the way over, and he's just standing there watching these two does. Wind's blowing right up to him. He's just standing there. He works his way down, starts working his way down towards us. We're like, oh shit! We, I mean, we're we're rattling a tree stand and a decoy, and we jump down into the creek bottom. He looks like he's walking right towards us. I mean, he's four hundred yards away still, but he's walking right right down this cut he uh kind of stops makes his way up on this little spine between these two cuts and beds down facing directly into the wind watching these two does about 12 and a half 13 mile an hour wind right in his face it's twelve forty-five now <laughs> the trucks are leaving i mean <laughs> we gotta go but this is what we came out there for you know we're like we're not Screw it, we got one of the trucks, you know. <laughs> we got we got to drive ourselves back. That's fine. So we uh, we ditched the gear, but to get to this deer, to get to the downwind side, now we got to go circle back. Now we're into these hills. So we go. I don't know. It's probably three quarters of a mile. We got to go all the way around the base of this hill, up. I don't know, hundred, hundred and fifty feet, all the way back down to the bottom back up another 200 feet and uh just to get to get an angle on him and uh 
we spot him. We're, we're kind of just checking. We're using, we can only see about, I don't know, six inches of his antlers. And then we had this rock just on the other side of the cut, he the far cut that he was in between. We're using that as kind of our guide as we would pop up and down. So we finally come up to the top and find him, range him. He's 85 yards. Like, All right. This is where we need to come up with a plan. Normally, you know, stalk in, maybe wait until he stands up. Um, but we didn't have time. So the guy I was with, Paul, he says, we make a plan there. He says, you get into this spot. So I took my boots off and stalked in on him. But while I was doing that, he was working his way all the way back down to the bottom of the cut where we saw this deer to begin with. And we needed to get this deer on his feet. So he sneaks all the way back down around. It's about 15 minutes, and he puts his hood on, grabs his grunt call, and gets down on all fours and walks out, <laughs> crawls out to the bottom of this cut, just hitting his grunt call ridiculously. <laughs> now he's 400 yards from this deer, so he's not going to take off running, but he's going to stand up. So here I am on one knee. I've had 20 minutes to go through my shot sequence. My heart rate's been up to 200 a couple times. <laughs> Got it back down. I've slowed my breathing. I've got, I've pictured the shot over and over and over. Now, I don't, mind you, I don't know which way this deer's lying in this sage, but just like we, just like we anticipated, he stands right up. And now just a little, little tidbit on that. Greg taught me something uh, a couple days prior when we were putting a stock on a whitetail. These deer, right before they stand up, like if all you can see is their antlers, right before they stand up, they wiggle their head side to side. You see the antlers move. So that was in my mind the whole time. This guy just, again, it was written. I mean, he moves his head, looked like it was slow motion. I drew back. I'm on one knee. I'm, I'm inside 30 yards. And this guy stands up. And I didn't look at his rack. I just put my pin found the white on his chest, worked my way back, found his little armpit, took a deep breath, and I looked at his antlers, <laughs> and I about <laughs> shit my pants. <laughs> this was a white tail. After the fact, looked to be about five and a half, six and a half years old, palmated main beams, 10 or 12 point. Like a pop can ma- uh, basis oh, for mass. Pop can bases. <laughs> He had one brow tine that was probably 11 inches, another one that was like eight. It's a giant. Paul made it main beam that went all the way out to the tip. At the, you know, at his, at his G1 and G2s, it was wide as my palm. Like, truly as wide as my, at least. And I just shit the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to get my pin back down where, you know, where I had initially fixed it and took a deep breath and let it fly. And I shot about half an inch over his back. If it wasn't for buck fever, we would have some real monster bucks on the wall. <laughs> I mean, this thing is the number so, one So problem. how many times have Paul been out there? Uh, four. Four. So that was his fourth year. And he said, hands down, hands down, of all the bucks that you've seen, not just ones he's had opportunities with, uh, by far the biggest white till he's ever seen. <laughs> ever seen. And yeah. this thing, this thing ran up the hill behind it. Up all the way to the top where it kind of plateaued out, and he stood there just uh, staring at us, got still just kind of swaying. He's looking at <laughs> us, just I mean, the most majestic looking buck you can ever imagine. 
We've seen it about three days earlier, and it's like it looked like its legs were short, and its brisket would just flop around. It was hard for it to walk up a hill. It was like a fat old cow or something. Man. <laughs> this thing was unbelievable. Deer you don't see. Believable. So it wasn't my fault. It wasn't you know, the boat's fault. <laughs> no. Which is the out When I heard one. the story, like when Adam's, you know, actually you sent me a text like, oh, I just missed a, you know, a boon or whatever. I'm like, oh, shit. Hope it wasn't the bow. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was, that was not the bow, man. As much as I would like to blame it on that. But part of it was like, I mix feelings on this. I mean, these guys have been doing this for six years. Nobody's had an opportunity to get a deer quite that big. So you're a better hunter. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it was luck, man. A lot of it is luck. I it mean, is. but it's putting in yeah. the hard work too. I mean, we were out there. We pushed it till noon. I mean, we, I mean, we really pushed it. I mean, we had hunted hard every day. We but did. so, it, one of the things that I say all the time, and the, you know, it, I feel like I just beat this drum to death. But I want to ask you because you know, Dad always said, you know, Larry Hellman, he looked at the deer's rack, sent the arrow through there. So once I've decided, like, that's what I was thinking when you were just telling that story, because I think about that all the time. I thought, when he fucking stood up, like, you didn't know you were going to shoot him? Like, why'd you look at his rack? Like, I, I, I mean, those are, as much as so big, he couldn't right, help it. It was right in his face. It's, right. <laughs> I had to move my head back so he didn't hit me. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the, that thought went through my mind. 20 times before I drew my bow back. But in the moment, man, I don't know. Something caught. I, it was a rack like I'd never seen before. So I, that was the third miss of the week inside 30 yards. So Not mine. I mean, no, not you. <laughs> for the crew. For the whole crew. It just happens. It's just shaking, man. So that was the same year that you shot one. In that same it, spot. It, yeah. But inside of 30 yards. Yeah. So I want to. I want you to tell that because this this oh, is yeah. a guy he's shooting. You know he orders. John orders eighty pound limbs, and Greg's like, "Eh, I'm gonna get the ninety pound limbs. I'm gonna shoot this ninety pound elite because I'm gonna really have to reach out and touch them. Yeah. Right? I want to make sure that I have the flattest trajectory possible. And tell me how that you know. T- tell us how that all worked out for you, Greg. So, yeah, it was the first date when we were looking at our, our app. We find this little spot, and uh, the spot where Dustin was just talking about. And on our way out there, uh, we're seeing bucks. We're walking a section line. You cannot hunt it, but you can travel it. So we're get on our way out, scaring deer. Um, we get out to the little corner that we can hunt where the creek bottom crosses, and um, we're we're like, man, we just scared five giant bucks out of here. What are we going to do? Uh, so we just sat down, and there was an hour or two before before dark, and uh, found a, de- a dead uh, cottonwood tree that had fallen over and just got inside it, a little ground blind kind of thing, and all of a sudden the bucks started coming back that we scared out. They're just stupid during the rut. So he's uh, coming back, and uh, it was my cousin's turn to shoot. So I grabbed the range finder, but I always have an arrow knock, too. I'm not stupid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, he comes, he looks like he's going to come. I'm going to be the range man. And uh, he, instead of crossing the creek where he, we thought, he went up the hill and then decided to come back to the creek. So he about, he brushed himself on the on the pile of tree that we we're hiding in. And when he's about five yards away, I got my bow drawn. And uh, 
He is literally, I could have killed him with a spear if I, it would have been the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. But <laughs> So I, I was drawn back, full drawn. He, he's literally 10 feet, maybe, 5 feet, I don't know. So close, you can't believe it. Well, you thought, you thought Cody was going to take the shot first, right? Didn't the deer take the, a little U-turn or something? Yeah, it, it took a U-turn and it came so so close and right Cody would have had to, I would have had to hide so he could shoot over my shoulder. So I said, uh, I better just do this. (laughs) And Cody said, first thing Cody said, he said, that was the most ridiculously quiet, smooth, perfect draw I have ever seen. He had a deer at four or five yards. (laughs) Yeah. And and he was able to draw. 90 pounds. 90 pounds. (laughs) Just the adrenaline, I think. I don't know. And, uh, yeah, he just so close and i I, man i put my eye up i'm like looking at my pins and the deer just snaps his head around looks at me and he's he's just about jumped out of his skin but uh he was so close i'm like thinking in my head i gotta put my pin i'm like what am i so i just i just use look down the arrow let it fly and (laughs) you know hit him good it's that close but yeah so you practice out to 50 yards, and you plan on a 50-yard shot, and you get a five-foot shot. So. <laughs> and so where where did this arrow end up? So we, it was gone. We had no idea where it was because, I mean, you're at ground level. It's just it was on its way up still, really, because I was on my knees. And uh, the next, like two days later. That was two days later, yeah. Cousin's in there, shoots a deer, and uh, finding his arrow, and uh, – he bends down to find his and mine is st- sticking in the dirt right by it, about 50, 60 yards from where he shot, buried in the buried in the bank. So, so uh, it had some good penetration. Yeah, <laughs> was not a problem. And so that that was two years ago, and and then the both of you go back out there with this caravan. This year you had um, you know two non shooters, ten people in the group. And you guys were the only two to tag out, right? Yep. Yeah. And so how did this year go? And Dustin, he's funny. He says, well, this year's story was just a boring. I mean, he killed the – I mean, you got an estimate on the score of that deer? I don't know. I, I didn't. I think um, it's got to go 150, 160. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, got to it be 160. Really nice I, I think movement. they say outside of mule deer, on average, their ears – outside of their ears is like 26 inches, and this was outside of – like to the tips of the ears and it was a real nice four by four with a couple small brows which i know you don't score but um i would say 150 160 probably yeah it's mule deer mule so, deer yes, yes yeah so how did how did that go in like for the time that you've been going out there it's to- you know, it a different experience i mean this one we spotted from the car you know we we're driving to drop these guys off and we could see it from the road but he was on he was on walking land, so um, they dropped me off, and the stock was 20 minutes. And I figured, so so I saw this guy, and I, I looked at him through the binoculars, and I said, okay, he's a shooter. But the way he was standing there, he was just, again, at a, in a creek bottom. Again, the creek cut maybe a total of 100 yards into the walk-in. And uh, I figured he was on a bedded doe or two, but... Uh, just the way he was acting, you know, he's just watching us, you know, and so I was able to use some of the terrain to kind of stalk in around, and I got into 50 yards, <laughs> but he was looking at me like he knew I was there, 
and the two guys that I was with, they got out of the car too, and they were walking in, but they were a ways down from me. And we hadn't talked about this. We hadn't planned on it or anything, but Paul had been out there enough that he knew kind of the time was ticking. So I'm sitting there, and I got him at 51 yards. I take one more little scooch and kind of up on one knee, and Paul is 40, 50 yards from me further away, and he grunts. Try to get the deer, because the deer is just fixed in. He's just looking. And I'm going, I, I couldn't figure out why he wasn't moving. I, I still don't know. I guess he was just running that hard. Right crazy, yeah. But uh, Paul grunts, and the deer doesn't move. And he grunts again. Doesn't move. <laughs> One of the non-shooters you were talking about, his nine-year-old son, yells, Hey! The deer turns and looks. I stand up and I draw. Take a couple deep breaths and just put it on the button at 50 yards. Thought I stone cold killed him. He hunches up, takes two big bounds, and just starts walking. Doesn't look sick at all. Just starts walking. He walks, kind of starts to walk up the bank, comes back down, and he stands right at the base of this bank. And the bank is like a sheer 20 feet creek bank. And uh, so I wait for about 10 minutes, and he doesn't move. He's still just standing there, just looking around. So I sneak my way up to the top of that bank, lean over, and I put an arrow in his neck from five feet. You know, I'm up 20 feet, but he's, I mean, I'm, I'm leaned out over the edge of this bank, and I stick him, and he, he just makes a <gasps> bounds one time and just starts walking again. Walks right back, I swear, to the same tracks that I shot him the first time. He just stands there. And I'm just shrugging my shoulders. I'm looking back at the guys like, what do I, what do, I do? I mean, I can... I can see my arrow 10 feet away with blood dripping off of it. And the guy's just standing there. Not not wobbly. He's not wagging his tail. He's just looking around. So I pull out. I walk back. Get back there. Back towards the road. Glass him. He's still standing. Call Greg. Because Greg actually shot his white tail the, the night before. And uh, so he was out dropping people off too. And... Uh, Finally, he lays down. But by the time you got to us, what, it was another 20 minutes maybe? Yeah. We sneak up a little bit further, glass him. He's laying down, but he's looking around like, I mean, not wobbly, head head up, you know, just just looking around. So we hopped in the truck and we drove around for a half hour, came back and he was dead. So yeah. um, I ended up just putting, just barely slicing into one of his ventricles. I didn't split it open. Um and fenestrated one of his lungs, clean pass through at 50, and then the one in his neck was through a main artery too. But these things are tough, man. <laughs> these things are unbelievably tough. That's pretty wild. I yeah, mean, and I'm shooting, I think, 72 pounds. So not 90 pounds, but... <laughs> doesn't matter when you're passing through. and yeah. Right. 250-pound deer or something. Yeah. And so then I've it's seen tough. the pi- pictures of your deer, but I haven't heard your story so how, how did this year go so i brought my wife out there with me i'm trying to get her into into hunting so i figure there's no better place to show her some big deer get her excited so we went back to the honey hole first day to set up a tree stand and you snuck uh, out there a day early well yeah 
So the deal was, you know, I want to share the spot, okay? So we're going to draw for it. So if you're not going to be out walking that day, you, you can draw and get get into the honey hole because we just get opportunities there. It's just the ultimate funnel. So, um, but we were out there a day early because we had to leave two days early So for work. Um, so we got out there and uh, set up a tree stand and seen a few deer that morning. Um, actually, while we were breaking branches and setting up a tree stand, I think a deer thought a fight was going on. Came to 25 yards and nobody had their bow. Weren't ready for a shot. Uh, just an awesome buck, too. And um, Now, funny story. Nobody had their bow ready, but somehow they have a video of this deer running up to them. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the tree stand. I had my phone on me. So I said, I'll take a video. My bow is on at the bottom of the tree. So. Yeah, but you thought Cody was going to shoot from the base of the I tree, did. right? Yeah. yeah. But like like we were talking about, there's a million ways to screw things yeah. up. So. Yeah. And you guys aren't doing any videoing or, no. or anything no. out there. No. This no. is just. You we know, should. This we is really just should. for you guys, you know. Yeah. I kind of think it would take away from it to be worrying about cameras and stuff, you know, a little bit. But but anyways, we're sit- so my wife and I are in a two-person ladder stand uh, sitting all day. And uh, we seen a few deer, just never got within range. Um, half hour before dark or something, uh, we looked down the down the creek bottom a ways off on private land, and uh, there's a buck cruising. And uh, so I, I hang my bow up on the on a hook, and I grab the rattling horns, and I just just tickled them a little bit, like two seconds. And I look up, I throw my binoculars back up. This deer, it was started off about 500 yards away. Um, I look, I can't find him in my binoculars. I'm like, what the heck? I asked her, where'd he go? She said, I think he's running the other way. So I, <laughs> find, I finally find him, and he's running straight at us. And uh, so I get my bow back up. And um, honestly, before I could get ready, clipped in, uh, ready to shoot he was on us i mean it was like it was a sprint from 500 yards out and uh he came in to about 25 yards and i was hurrying so fast i i the arrow flipped off my rest when i went to draw tink tink and then uh he runs out to about 30 35 and uh got the arrow back on the rest got drawn and uh put it on him aim for the armpit and put it there Ran about 100 yards and tipped over. That was a good, good buck. And it was about a 125-inch whitetail. And honestly, I didn't even look at the rack. It's kind of a borderline shooter out there. Um, Three-year-old buck and, uh, you know, nice nice body and everything. But next year I'm going for something older, four- or five-year-old. But ultimately, so what did your wife think of the experience? She loved it. She, I mean, we're out there. Aside um, from being cold. Yeah, that was a cold day. So that was the first full day. Uh, on our way out there, we uh, stopped at one property, and, I mean, we seen we seen 70 pronghorns on walking this property. we seen uh, thousands of prairie dogs. But then we get on some mule deer, and we're stalking in <laughs> on them, and we look over, and the cows that we were stalking through were turned out to be buffalo. <laughs> so I don't know. We about she about freaked out. I, I was thinking about still going towards the towards the mule deer we were stalking, but 
No, we're, we got to get out of here now. We're, at, we're the big bull buffalo 100 yards from us. So, I, you know, when we're walking out there, we're going back to the truck. She's like, yeah, I see what you got to come out here. I mean, there's geese flying over. There's every critter you could ever want to hunt. You know, it's just it's just different than home, you know. No people either. Sweet. Yeah. So you're, you're not running into any guys. There, there's not. I guess that's one thing we didn't get into. Like, so, you know, you say you guys are staying at a lodge and they offer other hunting opportunities and things like that. So have you run into many hunters? Yeah, or? by the way, a lodge, it's really just a pole barn where, yeah, I mean, it's nothing fancy. The guy charges us 25 bucks a day to stay there. Um, and we'll make sure to put his number up. Right, right. <laughs> no, no, we won't be talking about it. <laughs> but, but no, we... Um, There's some local guys. Some local guys, and uh, this year we ran into... A guy, young guy, out there for the first time. Yeah. Um, he was he was from the Dakotas, but uh, he was from a different part where he only had ever tree hand, tree stand hunted. He actually cost us an opportunity. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but no, we don't. I mean, you can count on one hand. I mean, first year I was out there, we saw one. When I was out in Nebraska, a couple years prior to that, we didn't see a single other bow hunter. Um, I've seen then, a Minnesota plate once. A guy was bow hunting, but mostly it's just the local guys. So let me ask you this, in because it, it sounds like all the um, interactions that you've had have been positive out there. What we've run into with elk hunting through social media big names um it it really doesn't matter who we talk to as far as like out west and especially you know everything's been elk hunting they everybody just wants to help you out like Mm -hmm. just wants to you know put you on a good spot you know they want you to have an opportunity they they just want to help out in any way that they can have you had the same thing because i think like for as as far as like that's been our experience with 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 western hunting but there's like this giant stark contrast between whitetail hunting around here where everything is so close to the vest and nobody wants to do anything to help you out and um you know we're going to be talking to some guys actually here pretty soon we were supposed to do a podcast with them yesterday it just didn't work out because of time um you know that that's going to be their sole purpose kind of is like to put out content to to actually help people um with whitetails but what has been your experience out there you know are whitetails a big thing out there or i mean um the the local guys are really waiting for gun season to open and we're a week ahead of that opening and they don't i think this game out there is just honestly doable now because of range finders and good bows I mean, if you had to do this 20 years ago, I don't think you could. I don't, how would you shoot a deer on the hoof? You're just moving. Well, I had an opportunity. You shot one at five feet. Well, so, it, I mean. could <laughs> it could happen. It could happen. But without – But no, you're just, right. You're it's right. just really a kind of – I don't think – there's not a big tradition of doing this, you know, and they don't really care. They're farmers and ranchers. 
and they're going to get their opportunities with the guns. They're gonna, so they're like, yeah. you know, let, let's let these out-of-staters come in and yeah. run around, you know, because they're not going to mess anything up. And you can shoot, you can see a long way, so you can shoot as far as you want to with a rifle, yeah. right? Yeah. And, I mean, they're used to out-of-state hunters, all the pheasant hunters. out there. They see a lot of hunters, and they know a lot of guys make their living guiding for them and stuff. So they're positive. To, yeah, real positive but, to you. But the guy, the guy we stay with now, you met him, right, by asking permission to track a deer on his yeah. land, right? That heartbreaker buck I was talking about earlier, uh, where we we had him. He had we had blood crossing his property, and it's a big thousands of acres ranch. And uh, so I, we had his phone number somehow. I don't know. We called him up and said, you know, can we can we track a deer across your ground? Uh, we'll leave our bows. You know, we just want to go see where it, where it went over the hill. You know, and. Uh, so don't leave your bow. What are you nuts? <laughs> what if it's still alive? You know. So yeah, there. Yeah, just really cool. I think you could get permission most places. There's a few guys that protect the deer. You'll see some food. If you see food plots for and and uh, tower blinds for the deer, those guys are they are not gonna let you on their land. But um, you could get permission most but other places. One thing that blew my mind was, I mean, this guy lives on like you said, thousands and thousands of acre ranch with world-class deer every year around him and we ask him hey you know been seeing any 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 nice deer yeah there's deer around here you'll find them you know that's about it there's good deer you'll find them like it doesn't cross his mind like he doesn't it's not not something he worries about not something he cares about doesn't even pay attention to it doesn't pay attention to him yeah just and, and and in terms of you know, helping you out. We, you know, he comes down and talks to us yeah. just about every night or. Yeah. This is know. the guy we ended up staying in his pole barn. He's like, yeah. Hey, you guys are out here. I got a pole barn with some bunks in it. Go ahead and stay in there. You know? Yeah. And he comes down most nights and asks how we did and all that. And, mm-hmm. um, we tell him about some land. We, we have some questions next morning before we even get up. There's a sheet with the three landowners names and phone numbers. It says, Hey, I put in a call said, these guys might be reaching out to you about some hunting just a heads up and lets us call if we, you know, if we want to get on some land. And you had an experience, Adam mentioned, um, meeting a guy at a bar or something. You guys, you and Kenny had an experience like that out in Nebraska, didn't you? You guys went and had dinner. And- yeah. Yeah. Um, so this guy that we know in South Dakota gave us a phone number, said, Hey, this guy's got some good hunting in Nebraska. And we wanted to go try some tree stand hunting. And uh, we get out there and, and meet his buddy that he sent us out there with. And he says, um, you know, we were getting in the hotel room and everything. He's like, yeah, just come stay at my house. We're like, what? We don't want to stay at your house. <laughs> so, yeah, we ended up staying at his house, you know. <laughs> and uh, we, he's showing us all the properties. He's uh, never met us before. And has no idea, but I mean, we're young guys just just going hunting, so I guess it vouches for us a little bit. But so then, yeah, he brings us out to dinner and introduces us to some farmers and gets us on private land. It's just, I think if you go out there and just poke around a little bit, you'll get opportunities like that anywhere. Is that the guy who had to leave the money in his fridge? We didn't even pay it. That guy didn't want any money. Just, yeah. Yeah. Because I remember talking to Kenny, and he's like, there's a guy who didn't want any money, and he's like, I ended up putting money in yeah. his fridge. Cause you know, we did. 
Yeah. Because it's like he wasn't going to take it. So Yeah, and then we ended up, you know, we got one deer. The two of us got one one buck out there that year, and uh, we ended up sending them a bunch of venison out, a bunch of uh, summer sausage and stuff. So, yeah, it's just So cool I think, people. you know, overall, like in closing, if you don't think about going out west for whitetail, um, you know, they're, they're definitely out there and it sounds like just like everything that we've experienced with Western hunting is that people generally either don't care about the whitetail or they're willing to help you out. But I think, what would you guys say to somebody who decides like, you know, cause it's real easy for us here in Michigan as we did to say, okay, well, we want to go to Ohio, you know, there's big giants in Ohio. What he's talking about seeing X class deer more than you've ever seen in your lifetime. I mean, that was the first year I went to Ohio was like, holy shit. Like there's, there are these deer do exist, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's a, that's a real big change, but why choose a Western style of hunting versus something that you're, you know, cause I mean, you, you guys very easily could have said, well, we want to shoot big deer. We're going to go to Illinois or, you know, so, so why is it because of the success that you've had out there? Is it because of the different, the entirely different experience because of the people? Um, and then what, what would you say if you're going to do it? The one thing that you would say is like paramount for, for going out there. Oh man. I think we just kind of fell into it. Honestly, we're out there shooting prairie dogs to start with, but, um, yeah, I can't leave it just cause it's so different. It's, uh, it's big country. You see it for miles. It's just really fun to be out there. And so, if you are young, you put the miles on, you can get on good deer, and there's plenty of ground to move around and uh, time it right with the rut. And uh, I don't know, you can just really get on some deer. And it's hard to be successful, but it's, it's a challenge, you know. You Let's, think you did something when you, when you got one. Right. Like after our Idaho hunt, you know, we're out there, and you said it, you know multiple times like when we're sitting still you just feel stagnant and nothing's happening oh I... you, and you know we start moving and we're doing stuff and then you know shit happens for you it's like you got to make something happen right. it's not you're waiting for you're not waiting for something to to come to you or like right. whatever you're like if there's nothing here like when I, god when we were in idaho it was like we were sitting there and i was like this is just fucking stupid <laughs> i was like this there's no way that there's you know i'm just sitting there waiting yeah. Right. Like this looks like a good spot. Like this yeah. is so stupid. Yeah. And so after after our experience out there and then coming back, don't get me wrong, I love sitting in a tree stand and, you know, watching all the stuff and, you know, just the peace and quiet. But then it's like, man, I just want to get up and go over there. I want but it but here, I mean, you know, I mean it's doable kinda, but something like you know You're gonna and, run into somebody and the space is finite. So, right, exactly. Yeah, you're gonna blow your whole property out, right. setting it up and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, like what you guys are talking about, you know, it's not gonna be for everyone. You know, obviously, you got to be in good shape or you know, a decent shape to to be able to get out there and put that many miles on. But for me, it's like, man, yeah. that's why you know I want to go out there and and chase the speed goats around. You know, probably not gonna be successful. You know, probably not gonna kill something. You know, but. Success for us, you know, get out there, get an opportunity, chase them around, and, you know, screw some shit up. But yeah. Fling I, some arrows. You know, for me, I think <clears throat> I think one of the things, like Greg said, that he's not going to be able to leave it. Uh, I feel the same way. Like, it's just something so 
astronomically different than what we've done, Great. you know, since I was 10 years old, 12 years old, whatever it was when we could first hunt. I mean, there's, I, I don't, I don't know if it's cause it's only been two years or, you know, I, I, I don't see it getting old, but it is, it is such an exciting thing to, to see, like, you know, how many, how many deer have you shot in Michigan where it's like, oh shit, there's a deer. I'm going to shoot it. Right. Comes no, in. You, you pick which deer you want to shoot here. And most, most of the time, like you see it and you go after it, you chase that deer. You know, it's, it, there's something about being out there like the, uh, the, the big country. I mean, you're, you're just, you're, you're putting the miles on. And, and in terms of, you know, what I would say to somebody, even in my limited experience would be. You know, we talk a lot about we talked a lot about <clears throat> people wanting to help you out and well, how cool that is. I, I don't think that's necessary though. You know, I think you can get out there, know nobody, mm-hmm. meet not a single person that's willing to help you out when you're out there. You still, if you put the work in, you put the miles on, and you've done at least a little bit of research. Hell, if you went out there just with Onyx on your phone and you didn't do a single bit of scouting before, you just knew an area that had a lot of state land. You get out there. And you learn the property by getting out there. Uh, you can, again, in terms of success, not just in terms of, of kills, but in terms of opportunities or, you know, learning experiences, uh, experience in and of itself. Um, you certainly can be, can be successful if you got, you know, five days. And the ground that we're hunting is a, a mix of pasture land, rolling hills, and farm ground. So if there's tillable ground near... And some rolling hills. Uh, them whitetails seem like they they come out of that when they're cutting. They're cutting the corn, and they're uh, they start rutting. They're trying to get their does away from everybody, and they bring them up in the hills. And uh, you'll see deer that just you'll never you'll never see on the hoof any other time of year, but during the rut, they're out there. I think what I was getting at though is as far as the um, knowing somebody and whatever is that, and people trying to help you out is like ultimately like don't be a dick and don't be afraid to approach people and when they say hey man how's it going like Mm -hmm. yeah we're out here from michigan we're you know we're out here from ohio wisconsin like whatever we're just trying to get on some whitetail oh you and it what probably ultimately happens because that's what happened like in idaho was like oh you guys want to kill a whitetail like (laughs) oh jesus like there's you know Right, right over there, like you know, there's every day they, you know, and then mm-hmm. if, if you see one, they stick to the same pattern. But if you go in there and you know you you have this like, well, I'm a hunter, I don't need anybody's help, like sort of thing. It's like you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because oh, that's what I mean. Like it's, right, it's not right, that right. you have to know somebody; it's just that like you don't get to know somebody unless you open up a little bit. And right, I, I mm-hmm. was in and, and kind of my point there was. Don't let that be the thing that holds you mm. back. You know, like I don't, I don't yeah. know anybody out there. There's, there's so much land. Where do I start? I mean, shit. The first day, first day I was ever out there last year, we hunted the morning. We went and grabbed lunch in town, and lady, the waitress comes up to us and go, looks at me and goes, "Were you my guy from last night?" And I said, "What?" She <laughs> said, "Were you the guy who knocked on my door to ask if you could hunt my land?" And I said, "No." She's like. Did you want to be? <laughs> we just all laughed. She goes, I'm just kidding you. There were some guys that knocked on the door, asked if I could hunt my land. I, I don't know. I thought it was dark. I thought maybe it was you. <laughs> I mean, that was four hours into being out west. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so yes, you're right. The opportunities are there. Don't be a dick. Um, but, but again, don't let that be the thing that 
keeps you from going. Everybody knows, got a contact out there or whatever. You know, you, you don't need that, but like you said, you're you're bound to make one. Yeah. You know? yeah. Most guys we've met out there won't give you permission over the phone either. They want to meet you. Yeah. So, so you call them on the way out. They say, yeah, just come on over to the ranch when you get here, and and uh, we'll talk about it, you know, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that that's, that's great. I think that that, like, kind of transitions real well into to kind of what we're doing here is because it's like, you know, wherever you're hunting, it might not be ideal, and you, and you want to take that next step, but you're just not sure how to do it. And so that's why I wanted to have you guys on, and, I mean, I've never spot and stock killed. I've never killed a deer at five feet. I've never killed a mule deer, you know, and, you know, so we know, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough in John and I, and then in Dustin, you know, to have grown up with your family and, and kind of seeing how you guys have evolved into being like, well, we just go out West. Like, you know, we'll have to do a, a fishing episode. Cause John is like real big into fishing and these guys go down and, they go miles out of Louisiana and catch everything under the sun. So, I mean, these are the guys that I'm telling you about, John. Oh, like, man. These, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, just just to just to see how how everything, you know, kind of evolves. Where you can sit back and you can say, "I'm in Michigan and this hunt sucks here," and and yeah. uh, you know, just be pissed off about it. Or you can say, "Well, well, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to make something." And I think that that's what you were talking about, like the the draw to going out west and how you were saying you're never going to leave it is i think what we're kind of talking about here as far as the western style of hunting is it's so empowering because it's like you hold your fate in your hands now mm-hmm. that's true to some degree with white tails and kind of the things that we're talking about also with bed hunting and, and kind of making it happen for yourself but what the draw is i think to the antelope hunting or like whatever is like and in, in listening to to dustin and greg talk here it's not that you know we can hunt all year long here for one or two opportunities but you know you go to a target rich environment where there's a lot of deer that you would shoot now there's guys that are out there that's like oh i wouldn't shoot a 125 inch buck or i wouldn't shoot a 140 you know i'm only shooting you know the 200 inch deer that he missed you know that that's it but you know you're you're going to see those deer that you're mm-hmm. not going to see. And it's not going to be, you're only going to see one and he's going to be only on your trail camera at night. Mm-hmm. You know? You're going to so see it's... seven nose to nose as your decoy. <laughs> one of the, yeah. <laughs> one of the coolest things out there, I guess too, is uh, you're hunting deer that are just out doing what deer do. You're not hunting some deer that the neighbor kicked over. You're not hunting. I mean, you get to see deer chasing, humping, fighting. I mean, you'll, they'll come to rattling horns. Yeah, uh, that's, it's that's just really, it's just awesome. Rattling and grunting, what, what that, and apparently decoys, what that'll do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the success yeah. we have there in yeah. terms of pulling animals in. But um, one other thing, too, about this is, uh, you know, and John kind of mentioned this, like, you still love hunting deer out of a tree stand. You know, I, I, I've made it a point intentionally to not let this kind of make me jaded towards Michigan. I hunted Michigan yeah. harder this year. Than I ever have. Three days after I shot the mule deer, four days after I shot the mule deer, I came back and shot the biggest whitetail buck I ever shot out of a tree stand in Michigan. You know, I mean, and that was uh, almost just as cool. I mean, there was, for what it's worth, I mean, that was Michigan hunting. And I shot it from a tree stand, you know, and I shot the mule deer chasing it out in 
right. big country. So, you know, each, each each opportunity was was incredible in and of itself. But I I don't know. What do you, Greg? Do you think? I don't know if it has to do with how busy you are on the farm and everything. But has it jaded you at all? Like in terms of no it's just for me it's just hours that i'm able to spend yeah. if i could spend more time here i would you know well, just three young kids and whatever um right but yeah it's just if i can go out there for a week and and hunt hard and uh get some good opportunities i start to feel like i need to be doing something you know instead of hunting around here taking care of kids or whatever at sports and all that so um yeah i don't hunt a lot around here anymore yeah but I will as soon as I slow down a little bit. No problem. Yeah, I don't think it's fun. No, so you don't think like if you missed a western hunt a year, you, it wouldn't cause you to hunt a lot more. No, here it's not that. I don't. It's all just time for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I just want to say, you know, you know, thanks guys for taking your time. You know, obviously with the young kids and everything right. going on, uh, just appreciate you coming on here and kind of talking about it because like our whole thing is like to try and inspire people to go out and do things that, you know, maybe they wouldn't have thought of, or maybe they don't see themselves doing. And, you know, to me, it's like, well, shit, I need to go to, <laughs> I need to go out there and do some more whitetail hunting. Um, because it seems a lot more doable and it's all about those, those opportunities because it doesn't always have to end in a kill, but I mean, four out of six or, you know, 50% and, and you have shot opportunities every time you don't even get that every year in Michigan. No, you know I no mean? not even close. I mean, John had some opportunities, but not on deer that he wanted to shoot. You know, he was working, you know, for his, for his boy, but it right. ultimately didn't end up in a, in a shot opportunity. Right. Um, I had one, I had one good, you know, mature buck come in and it just, that was my opportunity and it just didn't, but that's the, that's kind of like what we were talking about with like paying money or or doing that. So to be able to go out on a you know a, basically a guaranteed tag, go out there and have some opportunities, you know, when people might not have uh, have thought about about doing that, and it doesn't, you know, it's not, you know, the Golden Triangle, it's not Ohio, Illinois, or Indiana, Wisconsin, something like that, where you're and you don't have the pressure. So you know, I just want to thank you to, for coming on and kind of you know letting your guard down i know greg had some family that was like don't tell them any of the stuff because they're gonna <laughs> everybody's gonna go out there and you know you know we're not gonna be able to hunt but you know i think by doing this you know you're you're allowing people kind of like to see that you know they can do it it doesn't hunting isn't just like you know with the dwindling hunter numbers and everything like that it's like you know you're bringing kids out there you're bringing your wife out there to try and you know kind of garner all this anyone that wants to go out hunting you know it's it's a great opportunity to do that and so i really sure. appreciate having you on and um, you know following along we'll we'll put up some pictures of these bucks that they've killed and uh, maybe i'll try and get the video of the one that you just kind of <laughs> didn't Let shoot go. at just because <laughs> um but yeah i think that's pretty much all we got for today and awesome. uh, you know thanks everybody for listening and uh, you know keep following along we'll kind of keep bringing up as much stuff like this as we can so thanks again
Search for the one they call King, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.